0: Hello and welcome to GLGB Virtual, we are live. As part of GLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched GLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform, And entertain young people so that they can have some fun learn new skills and make a difference sessions include skills like magic upcycling and coding physical activities and the focus of this podcast series interviews with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds including famous actors social entrepreneurs government ministers and many more these interviews are run by young people like myself so if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for Judge BHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to, and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is the star of ITV's Judge Rinder. It's Rob Rinder. Sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. And now, the moment that you have all been waiting for. Robert Rinder is a British criminal barrister and television personality. He was called to the bar in 2001 after graduating from the University of Manchester. And in 2014, he began hosting ITV's reality courtroom series, Judge Rinder, which had huge success. In 2016, he famously competed in the BBC series Strictly Come Dancing and finished in fifth place and in 2019 he began hosting the Channel 4 series The Rob Rinder Verdict. I am so excited to get to chat with Rob and find out more about his incredible life and all the amazing work he's been doing. Hi Rob, how are you this evening?
1: Hi Sydney, how are you this evening?
0: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good. I was very... um inspired to hear the uh message from the speaker before you talking about the positive power of optimism and how social media can be used as uh, a really positive weapon so that was lovely to hear
0: we love our acts of kindness sessions here Mm. on virtual judge b and just before we start we hear you unfortunately may have had the coronavirus are you all okay now
1: i'm fine now yeah uh, it seems so about um but it's fairly early on so um just towards the, the end of March and uh, it was a couple of weeks of grimness but just as you're, as we're, we're talking about positivity, um, uh, as appalling and as tragic and as dangerous and as lethal as the virus is, um, what we know is that um, most of us that do get it, are unfortunate enough to get it, will we'll recover um, and uh, whilst you're experiencing the symptoms it doesn't do yourself or anybody else any good to be too overwhelmed with anxiety and negativity because of course we know that that can have a really negative effect on how you cope with symptoms. So it was two weeks of grimness, but then it was over and I was in such a brain fuzz, I got to watch all sorts of television that I'd never seen before, like the Kardashians and that sort of thing. So, you know, there was an upside.
0: Well, I'm glad you're all okay now. So I'm very excited to get to ask you some questions today Mm -hmm. and so are loads of our audience. So make sure guys, if you have any questions, Please write them in the Zoom chat or raise your hands and we'll get to you. Okay, so um, now that you're better, how have you been staying positive since recovering?
1: Oh gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, it helps. it's helpful, I think, to already be a little bit imbued with um, a positive outlook on life. You know, um, some of you may have read the book or seen the film Pollyanna or almost certainly too young, but they keep doing adaptations of it or perhaps Anne of Green Gables my two hero or heroines of literature you know I always try to conspire to find something sort of positive to think about in the world just as your just as you know JLB just as this organization JLGB does Um, and I think if you if that's in your RNA part of our history my history and a lot of people watching here as an organization has been Uh, you know, so uh, interlaced in our history has been so much negativity and, um, you know, uh, as Jews we've confronted so much adversity, but ultimately we've always come out the other side. And uh, I tend to, um, I think, be more positive in that sense, always uh, uh, remember that ultimately uh, whatever adversity we're facing, uh, the sun always comes out in the end. And that helps, I suppose. Plus, of course, I'm eating tons, so that's definitely something. Um, I'm speaking to friends. I'm teaching young people uh, about uh, Tudors and Stuarts, much younger than you, seven-year-olds, dressed as Anne of Cleves. Um, and trying to keep busy, which of course is, is, is useful too. But it interferes with you know, m- my mental health, just as it does with everybody being um, inside and not having the, the freedom really to meet people. You, I think we've all really appreciated the smaller things, right?
0: Yeah,
2: definitely.
1: Haven't you felt the same?
0: Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's mm. difficult, especially not having things like um school or anything like that. It gets it can get quite overwhelming being in the same mm. four walls all day, every day. But mm. to have platforms like JLGB virtual and everything, keeping yeah. in touch with people, it makes everything a lot easier. Um, mm. So what made you join us today and why do you think it's important that um, platforms such as JudgeB provide outlets like our virtual program?
1: Because um, it's exactly as, uh, as you described, that you can reach beyond yourself. and you know, It's amazing for me to think about what this would have been like if I was at university. Right? When I went to university, there was no internet. When I went uh, to bar school to become a barrister, you know, last century, whenever it was, the first lesson was on how to use a thing called Google. I'm not kidding you. And you know, you talk about trying to, or you think about trying to be optimistic, and we sort of remember we do have these technologies. But to be able to reach beyond yourselves or your immediate milieu—what I mean by that, your friends and family—to a broader community and to be able to connect um, with people that aren't necessarily experiencing the same anxiety in the same space is enormously useful. And I have a friend at the moment whose husband's really very unwell, and we probably weren't necessarily the closest of friends, but we've kind of connected with each other during this period because sometimes, if you're struggling through something, it's often useful to speak to somebody that doesn't have a kind of dog in the hunt. In other words, um, they're not going to be worried about you. You know, the worst type of text messages you get, especially when you're unwell, are things like, um, how are you? Because what they're really asking, what they're looking for is for you to reassure them. Um, So I think these communities like JLGB, um, are just, you know, amazing, safe and useful spaces for us to be able to connect with one another without necessarily really having to look after each other personally. They're communities, and that's what communities are, I think, when they're at their best, like this one.
0: Definitely. I mean, GLGB really is. It just helps everybody doing mm. stuff like this. Um, so obviously, you just had we just had our Acts of Kindness special. Um, mm. So your Act of Kindness, though, has been quite public, and you've taken to Twitter... Um, to people during this pandemic with both your oh, employment yeah. and consumer right advice Um mm. so tell us more and tell us why it's important to you.
1: Oh, I'm really glad you asked that's a really thoughtful question really thoughtful question um, so do you know what uh, I, and it's funny enough it's always the way when I get asked the best questions the, um, and I'm I'm in no way trying to flatter you and certainly never patronise you I mean you know, Oscar Wilde said that young people are really the only people with the experience to know anything. And that's you know evidently true by your question. Um, you know, uh, I have been dealing with cases this week on behalf of people. I meet them on Twitter or perhaps they phone into this morning. And, you know, honestly, I some of the cases I've dealt with, I've had to um, go back to the law books, back to the 1930s issues that I thought had been consigned to the dustbin of history, Sydney. Um, and I think the, the real, the, what I'm able to do, the gift, and it's a real gift of being given a pla- public platform, is of course that comes with it, as, as you know, a disproportionate and sometimes very useful form of power. Um, and in this case, I can do two things. I can sometimes answer people's legal questions, but a lot of the time, whereas there have been companies who have acted really well, sometimes even nobly, Loads of them really haven't, they've been appalling. And as an individual, it's really difficult for you to connect to the person that can actually make a decision on your behalf. So what I can do is answer someone's legal question, but critically amplify that question to get an answer for them. And you say that that's a good news or a good deed thing. It doesn't feel like that, because A, I'm just doing my job, and B, it it takes almost nothing for me to do. Um, You know, uh, so often, especially with celebrities, you know, overplay or overblow what they actually do and then grumble and they have to give selfies to people. I've got no time for that sort of thing. Now, actually, um, we do disproportionately little compared to younger people like you, people who are out volunteering every day, and of course, all of our frontline workers. Um, but yeah, it is really useful. And I, I don't know, how, how old, I mean, how old are the people in your community in general?
0: Um in we're completely ranging. We've got people in mm. year six, up to people in year 11 so Mm. we're reaching a wide audience.
1: Right. So, I mean, this will interest the year 11ers as they go to university. Of course, one of the issues I'm dealing with at the moment um, uh, is for students, some of whom, of course, uh, have got to pay tuition fees for uh, lessons and tutorials and lectures they're not getting. Some universities have been great, some haven't. Some have got their money back for um, accommodation if it was university-owned accommodation, but loads of them paid. For private accommodation, of course, they're not entitled to a refund. What happens in those circumstances? Of course, that's against a backdrop where you guys go to become students and end up in a huge amount of debt. When I went to university last century, um, it was it was free. I left university with eleven hundred pounds worth of debt. And I thought it was a fortune.
3: Yeah. And
1: you, you can't you you can't get half a term for that. You can't even buy you know keep yourself in bagels for the first term. Maybe.
3: but
0: it's everybody you're just doing your bit to support the community that Mm. you can support
1: Um, well I think if you've got any expertise now's a good time to share and use them you know if you're an entertainer I think that's a marvellous time for you to use your talents to uh, uh, find a way of delivering escapism that's what we want right
3: Um,
1: but as I I think I wrote and said publicly um, now's not the time for so-called celebrities to be doing other stuff, you know, like that dreadful Imagine video. So if you're a great fan of Gal Gadot, everybody. <laughs>
0: uh. um, so <laughs> let's move on to our next question. Um, oh, sure. Moving to your um, job, what made you passionate mm. about pursuit of the justice and a career in law in the first place?
1: So that's a really good question in this sense. you know, Nowadays, when you... Um, Want to be a barrister, right? Firstly, because as we were touching on before, you end up in so much debt. You do a law degree and then a bar course. The reality is, you're going to, as a young applicant, be in anything between 50 to 80,000 pounds worth of debt. I mean, that's just extraordinary, right? So nowadays, you have to think really deeply and be profoundly committed to being a lawyer before you start. Certainly, being a barrister. When I did it, because of a variety of things, especially perhaps because we were freer. We weren't so financially burdened. Um, We were able to perhaps, you know, think about it in a a, a less um, stressful context, right? When you don't have much debt, you've got more time to think about what you want to do. And the real reason I became a barrister at first was because um, I was involved in debating at university. I know they do the JLGB uh, debating competition because I judged it a few times. I'm not sure if it's still going. And that was my passion. And lots of debaters went on to the bar, and that's what I did. And I did a a bit of postgraduate degree, and I became, you know, I did well at university, and I I liked academia and that sort of thing. Um, Ended up becoming a barrister, and it was really only as I started, which is really impossible nowadays. And what I did is, there was a moment, I, I can't remember when it was, it was probably a case I was dealing with. But I really appreciated really what I was doing and there was a really important golden thread, if you like, between myself and my grandfather's story. My grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, I remember when we were young years ago, we used to take my brother and I to Speaker's Corner. This is like the pre-Twitter days when you actually had to face people who were espousing hate, you know. And um, we were listening to the worst anti-Semitic bile. And I remember him saying to my brother, "Me, he says in this country, this man can say whatever he likes." And a lot of the survivors, when you meet them, they really appreciate democracy. But what they mean by that is the rule of law. In other words, your rights can't be taken away without the rule of law applying, without you being arrested lawfully, without you having a lawful trial, without you having a properly prepared defence, and if you can't afford it, paid for by the state and so um, the reason I became passionate certainly in the early days of my career was because I wanted to be somebody who stood between the individual and the state because that's the thread that keeps the tapestry of democracy alive Um, and gradually very early on I had a bit of luck and ended up doing more and more um, high-profile cases where that becomes even more important.
0: Amazing. Um... So, I think, let's take a quick break from my questions, mm. um, and I reckon... Good questions,
1: audience... though, I I really good, you know.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, guys, if you have a question, write them in the comment chat, um, mm. raise your hand, and we'll jump to you, and you can ask your questions, and then we'll come back to mine a little bit later. So.
1: I'm, so saying, I'm saying ask you. anything you want. I'll, 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 I'll answer anything. <gasps> they would have to be law in it. They can be silly about, strictly about anything, Michael McIntyre, I don't mind anything you like, and I'll be very indiscreet as well. Sydney, we've got Maya uh, first of all. What's Maya?
2: To... What was it like being on Strictly, and do you oh, still?
1: Oh, thank you. Oh, hi, Maya. The question was, um, what was it like being on Strictly, and do I still dance? Uh, Maya, I wish I still dance. I tell you what, I'm going to show you. Bear with. Um, hang on. Look what I got. Hang on. I. Uh... Oh. hold on. This is just for you, Maya. I've not shown this to anyone before, but let's see if we can, this is for you. Oh, um, uh, yeah, I didn't win the actual one. Um, do you know what, Maya, it was really, really good fun. And it was a real privilege to do. You know, if you think about most of my work, you know, to some for someone to give me free dancing lessons, I was just thrilled and I loved it. And the nicest thing, Maya, and anybody listening, it's one of the few programs or things you can do where, People don't want you to slip over and aren't going to be thrilled when you do really badly. They want you to do really well. And you can feel that when you go out to dance. But I have to tell you, I was very, very nervous. Um, Sadly, in answer to your question, I don't really dance anymore because um, there's not that many places to do it. And I liked all the dances that, you know, maybe grandparents like, you know, like the um, Foxtrot. Um, And, you know, there's just not that many places available to, to do that sort of thing. But um, I can still salsa, but not, don't do it very often.
3: <laughs> Thank you for
0: that question, Maya.
1: Thank you, Maya. We've got Danielle K next. I don't think it's actually Danielle, but we're going to find out in a minute.
3: What's your favourite dance routine?
1: Oh, good question. What's my favourite dance routine? The one I did on Strictly, Me?
3: Yeah.
1: Or, in, or the one that I've ever seen? The one well, you did one, on Strictly. Oh, it was definitely the jive. You know, the one I dressed up the military outfit, because um, that's the week where I had most fun. Um, uh, yeah. In rehearsal, my favorite dance was when I dressed up as um, Fred Flintstone. But when I put on the wig, I looked like, more like Edwina Curry. None of you will know that. You have to ask your parents or grandparents. Um, but yeah, it was definitely the jive. Okay. Thank you, that's a lovely question. Do you do dancing? Uh no. Well, you know, you're never too uh, 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 young or old to start. You know, you could do the cha-cha. Why not? And when this is over, go to some classes. I always wanted to learn tap dancing. Maybe I'll do that. What do you think? Yeah. Good idea? Okay, well, if I do it, I shall tell, I shall tell anybody that asked me that, uh, Daniel, you inspired me to tap dance.
0: Um, what's your name and then we can write your name in the chat because we know you as Danielle Kaye. Jacob. Jacob. Oh hi Jacob. And um, so I think we're gonna go to Charlie next under the name of Simon Cohen on Zoom.
1: Hello? Hi, that's Charlie? That Charlie. Yeah hi, hi, Judge Rinder. hi Charlie. Hi Charlie. Um it's a bit of a court case for you. Um a couple of months back, uh, huh. me and my mum made a um five hundred pound bet and I won the bet and then she kind of refused to pay. And uh, how and we old shook you? hands as well. So how old are you? Uh, thirteen. Thirteen. Well, uh Charlie, um what do you think the answer is? Do you think you could, you are now on to enforce the five hundred pound bet your mum didn't pay, I presume? Yes. Right, well well what do you think the answer is? Yes. Um, do you want the good news or the bad news? Uh, you can give me both. Right, well, um, the good news is that in law you could almost be right. The bad news is you're not quite right and your mum doesn't owe you the money. Um, but your mum does need to be quite legally careful. Oh?
0: Rob, we've lost you. Hello. Oh, there you go. You're back. We've
1: gone for a second. Are you back? Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting a a number of calls. Let me let me let me turn off. um, Put on. Okay. Um, If um, uh, are you are you there, Charlie? Yes, I'm there. Hi,
3: Charlie.
1: Well, the thing is this: um, the reason that uh, you don't have an enforceable case against mum is for two things. First of all, because you're under. 16 or 18 it depends on the nature of the contract uh you 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 can't actually form a contract without your mum because what you're what's called a minor which actually doesn't seem very fair does it because um if you think about it you can be prosecuted for a criminal
3: offense
0: oh there you go you're back you
1: prosecuted for a criminal offense sorry hi there sorry yeah i forget you you can be prosecuted for a criminal offense when you're 10 years old but you can't form a contract. So that doesn't seem fair, does it? But that's, that's the law. The other thing about it is because you didn't get anything in writing, I presume you didn't get anything in writing? No, we didn't. Right. In which case, when you enter into any agreement uh, with a friend or family member, um, the law assumes you didn't intend to sue one another unless you specifically put in writing, this is a legally binding contract, and if you don't pay, I'm going to take you to court. And the reason for that is because otherwise, that's what courts would deal with, wouldn't they? That's what they deal with all the time. So a court requires you to demonstrate that you've you've got, I'm going to repeat, what's called an intention to create legal relations. And that's often the case with a lot of the uh, matters that I deal with uh, in my civil court. But, you know, the last thing, uh, Charlie, you should tell mum to be a little bit mindful of is this, that um, years ago, and not that long ago, in fact, Um, before they changed the law all of those bets in fact you know none of those bets were legally enforceable ever Uh, but now they can be Uh, so you know if you were a few years older and you would got mum to sign saying she would pay in the event she lost she'd have to pay you 500 pounds otherwise you know you could end up in my court what was the bet over out of interest um it was um something on who wants to be a millionaire she thought something and i thought something else uh, so you won. Yeah. Well, next time, uh, get it in writing and be a bit older. Um, or what you want to do is get another relative okay. to sign the contract on your behalf to say this debt is enforceable. And then, then your yeah, your quid's in. Okay. Um. Yeah. Oh, good luck to you, Mum. Be careful entering bets. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, you lost. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Thank you, Charlie. Um, i think Millie <laughs> not. i Um I think Millie has a question. Um
3: how long have um have you always wanted to be on TV?
1: No, that's a really thoughtful question. Um, no, I I I I ended up on television by accident. Um You've got an amazing background. You look like you're um, in gold or something. Really cool. I want that background. Um, No, I didn't um, apply to be on television. As you heard, I was a a lawyer, a barrister for about, well, how old are you? Ten. Right. So I've been a barrister for twice as long as you've been alive. I know. I don't look it, do I? I look much younger, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, So... I, like you or lots of people, you know, you're not necessarily good or just enjoy one thing. It's just not all maths or games. You can enjoy lots of different things. And so um, I used to like doing law and I was very passionate about it. But at the same time, as a hobby, I used to write scripts for television. And um, I went to sell one. um, And uh, the woman who looked at it said it was the worst thing she'd ever read. It was so bad, uh, she gave it, what i describe as her undivided indifference the best way of describing it was she enjoyed it about as much as a fart in a courtroom that's how much she enjoyed it not very much uh, but we had a nice chat and she said you know are, am i qualified to go and sit on these cases and i said yeah i didn't really believe what she was saying because lots of people in television just do lots of talking you know how some people do talking but they don't really deliver very much sure you know people are like that that's most people in television. Um, but I was doing very serious international cases living all around the world representing governments and things and then all of a sudden this television program got made and that's what happened, it, it, it was luck. You know how the world can change very, very quickly. You know, one minute you're doing one thing and you know, then you're planning for your birthday or Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is and the next minute we're all in quarantine. That's sort of similar. I was. A serious lawyer one minute and then I ended up on television the next. But I certainly didn't um, have ambitions or apply to be. It's a really thoughtful question. Um, what a great background. How did you get that very clever gold background?
3: Um, you have to go on to virtual backgrounds and then you upload an image.
1: Right. Well, so there you are. You've taught me something. I'm going to go and find a virtual image now. Um, that's especially cool. Thank you for your question.
0: Thanks, Miley. Um, I think Millie has a question. Yay!
1: <laughs> Hi
2: Millie Hi um, How are you? Oh my brain's just gone blank I forgot my question Hang on, I actually. Asked oh, it.
1: Happens all the time to me
2: When you, when you came and did the talk at JFS What did you think of the school?
1: Oh I've done several talks at JFS It depends what year really um, yes. Yeah I think it's a great place Do you know it's fascinating Because if it's the year I was thinking of Actually it would have been around this sort of time And, you know, there are three impressions, you know, some of them quite serious uh, about JFS and about Jewish schools in in general, you know. Um, For those of you who go to Jewish schools, you get used to a certain thing, which those of us that didn't go to Jewish schools or aren't present on campus every day sometimes forget, which is there's something um, enormously challenging and powerful, first of all, about going into a school with young learners um, who were going to school behind gates full of security, and that's always a really stark reminder of how fragile and how careful, and still today, how tragically dangerous it is to commune as Jews. Um, and and that's something that's very powerful. The next thing that I remembered, if it was the day that I think it was, it was Yom Ha'atzmaut. It was the day of the Israel's birthday, and um, it was amazing. There were people dancing outside, and there was just the most Lovely, moving ruach spirit of the school, which I just thought was absolutely wonderful. And of course, lastly, it's got these amazing facilities, um, and um, I thought the young learners that I met there were incredibly smart, um, which was which was good as well. Um, I mean, the campus is really impressive, you know, and all the teachers were really friendly. But they would be to me, wouldn't they? I mean, I know. No, they're
2: they're friendly. They're friendly in general. They're so kind.
1: Oh well, that's good. Um, The person I knew was Miss Berg, you know, um, but I knew, I know, I know a few others too. It's different though. They they, they would always be nice to me, I think. I mean, yeah. No, what I was really impressed by was um, when I spoke to some of the students, I hate that word, but the young learners or the learners in general was just how sophisticated and thoughtful their questions were. Um, And I often find that when I go to JFS, especially amongst the sixth form that they've really chosen to be them. there's a it's a real community of people who are um, ambitious uh, and mindful. And also, they're not just interested in one thing in academia. They're interested, as I suspect you are, um, in things beyond their community, which is yeah. great. I think it's great.
2: Mm. I'm freaking out that you got to answer my question. Sorry.
1: Well, I'm <laughs> freaking out too. Um, it's, it's, it's very cool to speak to you. Um, and go, What do you want to do? you have any idea what you want to do in your...
2: Um, uh, I, can wa- finish. To... I want to do medicine, but if I could have, um, because I I love helping people, it's always my thing. Mm. Um, but if I really, really could, I'd love to be on stage.
1: <laughs> well, you could combine the two. I I did national that's, youth theatre. That's hopefully my plan. You did uh... national youth theatre. I did, and um, when I did it, um, there was a couple of people that went on to be doctors. Or actually, at the time, I was quite young when I did. Actually, did. They were uh, in medical school, and also, um, you know, from time to time, would go and tread the boards. So you could do both. Why not? Although um, you have to be kind of committed to one or the other at some point. but yeah. you know I mean. No, I, but don't. let um, people. people. Cons- yeah, well, that's good. But don't let people conscript you into uh, doing anything you don't want. I think. A lot of, um, especially now, there's a lot of pressure, more than ever, actually, um, partially because of how much it costs to go to university, which it never did, as I said. And I always emphasize um, when I talk to um, younger people about about to become students, it's really important that the choice that you make is one that you more than intuitively feel is something that you're going to delight in in the long term rather than because you feel conscripted into it because you should be doing it or because you're trying to make other people proud. You know, if you do that, mm-hmm. that's a recipe for pretty sure disaster mm-hmm. and unhappiness.
2: It's like, I, for my DOV, cause I'm doing my bronze DOV. Okay. I'm, for my volunteering portion, I volunteer in the nurse's office because,
0: Amazing.
2: but I did that for my Yoni Jesna as well. And, mm-hmm. um, that's how I discovered I actually love science. I love biology and I love helping people.
1: Amazing. Well, those are the three things. I mean, and um, what do you feel when you see the frontline um, NHS workers? You know, um, uh, I have a number of friends who are consultants and doctors working in AE. Do you feel compelled to be on that front line as you see those heroes?
2: I wish I, wish I could be like, helping and doing stuff. I am so, so grateful because I know someone who's actually working in a hospital right now Right. and she is absolutely brilliant and I know um, my grandma sent her a video of me singing and mm. apparently I made everyone smile which is really nice and I'm just so grateful for what they're doing
1: yeah well um, hopefully we won't have a recurrence of anything as extreme as this um, in the future but that will be you one day and you'll make us all proud it's so nice to speak to you thank you for your thoughtful question
0: amazing thank you and um, Let's move on. I think Gabby has a question.
1: I, uh... Hi, Judge Winder. Hi, Gabby. Who, which one's Gabby? I'm
0: Hi, Gabby. I'm, Gabby. I'm
1: Sammy. <laughs> Hi, Gabby and Sammy. What <laughs> a cool room. Is it like a, you've got photos everywhere.
2: Yeah, these are all. this is my massive photo wall.
1: That's
2: cool. They're in uh, Sydney. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. oh Sydney. Uh, <laughs> What year? Are you, is that from tour or something? I can't, I can't work it no, out. No, I was meant to go that? on tour
2: this year, but it got oh, cancelled.
1: Oh, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, so hey, I've got Sorry, go on. Yeah. So yes, I've got a question about loss. So I'm in university, and I'm with a private um, landlady. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... I've been answering these questions all day. What uni are you at? Um, East Anglia. Okay, so you're down... In Norwich. Right, yeah. you're in Norwich, okay. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, like, my column today, it's really mm. interesting. Um, I do, for about five years, been answering questions in the sun and my mailbag was full. I mean, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of questions. What year are you in, one or two? Uh, I'm in second year now, yeah. So the bottom line is, as you probably know, and I don't know what's going on at uni with um, anybody that might be in the first year that's more likely to be in halls or in accommodation owned by the university, but by and large, the universities have got involved and even though they're not contractually obliged to, they've forgiven Uh, any of the rental obligation or the debt of anybody that's um in other words they've said you don't have to pay for your last term part of the reason that is that they have jurisdiction over those contracts so they can forgive that debt because they own the contracts right so is that i don't know if that's the case if you know anybody who's in the are you talking about student halls student halls yeah student halls which are either run by the university or run by university organizations with a connection to the university um do you have you have you found that to be the case? No can, I ask you, no, can I ask you about no, no, me, um, private? I know you're asking about private. I'm going to get there now uh, okay. because I wanted to uh, point out just how unfair it is. So those yeah. people, the first years, are getting uh, very often their money back on not being obliged to pay. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, there's um, my goddaughter and it's read some my degree at, at Oxford. Um, <laughs> she's at a year where they've had to live out of halls. Anybody in halls has not been legally required to pay. In other words, the, all of the contracts have been what's called vitiated. In, when you are a private tenant, as it currently stands, um, the law doesn't help you at all, mm. um, which is a really big problem. In other words, um, y- y- you have effectively been forced out of that accommodation because of what's called a government edict. They have specifically removed you from benefiting from the contract at the same time, you are bound to pay, and you know some would say you have to think of both sides it's not uh of course you're awful, it's also not the landlords. so the question is well, why should they lose out on rental and the answer it seems to me is because you're students, and um ultimately, you co-op the risk that something happens to a student in the course of your short a shorthold tenancy that you might not get paid, and what's more, the universities, many of them who have huge endowments could be helping young people, as could banks, as could government. The reality is, it's a long-winded way of saying the contract still applies, you have to pay your rent pretty much. However, that's the bad news. The good news is um, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to get in touch with Gavin Gavin Williamson, the Employment Secretary. Uh, I know the Health Secretary, but he's very busy dealing with other things Mm -hmm. at the moment. I know him quite well. Um, And uh, also the Minister for Higher Education, because that's the only person that can help. It's political now. Legally, you know, these guys, the owners of the houses have got contracts. They've got tenancy agreements. And just because you're not there, it's very difficult to argue that you you don't have to pay. Now, that's the legal position as it currently stands. But the bottom line is, I don't know. I would never encourage anybody to break the law. Um, I would never, ever encourage anybody to get themselves into a financial or legal situation which is um, legally wrong and might put them in a bad position in the future. But it is difficult to think about what's called what remedy any landlord is gonna have if students simply don't pay and show up. I mean, because it seems to me the courts would be inundated with those applications. I mean, they might get round to them eventually, but in the short term, it is definitely worth writing to your landlord, explaining the situation nicely and asking whether they will forgive Whatever you owe for that term, they may tell you to rearrange lost and get. But if they do, um, it, you know, uh, it, it might also be the case that it's worth negotiating a lesser rent until the government intervenes and says that students aren't required to to pay the rent for this term. Have you got your tuition fees back? Or are you getting lectures online? Oh no, um, tuition fees not exchange with that. Um, are you getting your tuition online? No, of course, it's, yeah, a it's all online. Okay. Yeah. So the, the reason I like ask so that questions like, is because, um, yeah. right. The reason I, and, and so you're getting some value actually, but the reason I ask is because, um, students in a number of different ways have been disproportionately affected, mm-hmm. uh, by, um, this situation, uh, both in terms of the nature of, um, how their courses are delivered, certainly in respect of private tenancies like you, um, okay. and in lots of other ways, student travel, etc. you name it. Um, they are yeah. legally the worst hit. So can I ask you, um, because mm-hmm. you didn't really explain, what happens if students don't pay? Um, do they just get evicted or will the court... Or will they well, there's no not they, they can't pay, but how does it work?
3: Well, that, that's the is, to is,
1: know. Right. the answer is they can't evict you because you're not there. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. legally they'd have to evict you. Now, um, all evictions have been suspended until June anyway. So, yeah, uh, they wouldn't get a hearing before the end of the tenancy anyway. What's more, there are specific government regulations which say you can't evict someone unless you've got a good reason. Like, And not paying the rent actually isn't one at the moment, not until after June. So yeah. legally, they would evict you, but they wouldn't be able to bring proceedings. But just be a bit careful for this reason, because when you get evicted, that's not the end of the matter. They can still yeah. come and sue you civilly for the rent that you owed and didn't pay. And the reason that's a problem isn't because in the long run they're going to come after you or even because they'll proceed it all the way to court. Many landlords won't bother. Maybe Mm. most of them. I don't know. But the last thing you want is to find yourself at the wrong end of a county court judgment because that can affect your credit rating really seriously as you get older. Mm. Um, But in reality, in terms of the power the landlords have at the moment, very little. Um, And there are going to be thousands of people in this situation. Thousands. Um, thank you for that bad. question
0: and mm-hmm. um, thank you for that guys and um, so I think we're going to come back to a couple of questions from me now if that's all right and um, so there are rumors out there that you may return to Strictly at Christmas for the first ever celebrity professional same-sex couple um, <laughs> and comment on this
1: uh, I will comment on it in that I think that I put that rumor out there um, in one of my columns by saying um I would do, I, I uh, saying that I would do that. Um, uh, and I would. I think it'd be great. Although yeah. I'm not sure what dancer I dance with. Who, who, would you choose for me? Oh, um, I think Gorka. Don't you? Yeah,
0: it's good. I mean, Kevin always. I thought he's given I, up this year. I know.
1: So the reason Kevin was amazing. So it's not a coincidence. Obviously, I'm friendly with um, Kevin and uh, still stay in touch with a number of the dancers. Um, but, you know, um, the reason that Kevin kept getting to the finals, because it's not just about um, the dancing. I think what viewers sometimes forget is they have to choreograph the numbers every week. And they just have to choreograph the numbers. They also have to be amazing teachers. Mm. And, I mean, Kevin is an incredible teacher of dancing. So, yeah, maybe I should get him to come back for it.
3: Yeah, that
1: brilliant. I'll, I'll text him after this.
0: <laughs> do. Um, so, what would you say has been your favourite case on the show?
1: Wow. Um, that's a difficult one. And we've done nearly 2,000. Um, you know, there are the memorable ones. I think some people when they watch the programme, first of all, suspect that it's not real, it's not entirely kosher. And it absolutely is. Also, they remember the more um, dramatic ones, but they don't realise that, say on a day I might deal with eight cases, two of them might have an element of pantomime, but six. Be really serious, like the previous uh, questioner, landlord on tenant dispute people whose families have broken down into, no you know, really um, toxic conflict. But of course, there are the seriously memorable ones, the more silly ones. I mean, I, I um, dealt with a case the other week where some of you may have seen. It wasn't silly, by the way, to the applicants who were deeply serious about it. And they'd gone on holiday with their cat. And uh, uh, on holiday, one of the other, um, I suppose she would have been holiday maker with her dog. The dog um, ended up. was a little shih tzu which of course is funny in of itself um, ended up um, well um, on top of the cat under the bed and um, the owner of the cat was said that the cat was so traumatized that it needed um, well psychological help and they were suing for the psychological help to the cat you know I had a case involving a a, a band that um, entered battle of the bands and uh, without telling their manager they got their 86 year old street dancer to wear a lime green mankini and he had a um, he had a wardrobe malfunction so the bit that was supposed to covering his privates ended up on his head um, and of course they played the video so that was very memorable but there are lots of memorable cases. <laughs>
0: um, so each night here on Virtual Judge and um, we teach a new skill to the whole audience and um, what I want to know is how good were your baking skills before you entered Celebrity Bake Off? And have you baked any banana bread since being in lockdown?
1: Okay, I need to emphasise, um, I have never baked. Um, I inc- and including the point when I, I, I went on Bake Off. Um, I'd had a really busy week leading up to it. and my, uh, A friend ta- told me she was going to teach me how to bake and she did. Well, I watched her, but then I I don't like mess and there was always flour everywhere. So that was never going to work. So I watched it. Then she wrote some instructions down. So what you saw on Bake Off was genuinely my first attempt ever at at a cake. And I think I did marvellously. I think I was misunderstood. I think it's a piece of contemporary art, Sydney, that people have just misunderstood. What they didn't really see, they didn't show, was I took a bottle of wine to decorate the cake. Um, But I thought it seemed as decorations, so I drank nearly all of it during the day. <laughs> I know and they, they didn't show that, but um, I had so much fun on that program. Um, it's, it's as lovely on the set as it is when you see it on television, it was really good fun. Oh,
0: um, slightly more serious now, um, mm-hmm. on Monday you took part in an online national Yom HaShoah commemoration, organised by our very own GLGB CEO Neil Martin OBE. Mm-hmm. Um, What was it like being part of and watching a virtual remembrance ceremony?
1: Yeah, that's the interesting question, isn't it? About it being virtual. Mm -hmm. No, Sydney, um, you know, one of the great privileges of my life was to have had my grandfather as a Holocaust survivor. Uh, Not just because of the lessons, if you like, that I've learned. They weren't ever sat, you know, you never sat down with a grandparent who'd been through those experiences who, if you like, uh, uh, sat down with a clear linear narrative. Today, I'm going to teach you about this, but just the stories themselves, just being present around him and the other survivors imbues you with a sense of the world, a perspective, if you like, uh, which as I've got older, I've realised is a really important gift to me. But even then, sometimes it can be really challenging. It's not like you remember those things every day. And um, you may have seen that I had the extraordinary privilege to interview um marla tribich and um earlier on in the day you know i'd had a bit of a flat morning as we do at the moment you know lots of people are suffering with their mental health or anxiety and, you know it's an understandable um issue for all of us at some point point. and i ended up speaking to marla that morning and um she started telling me her life story at nine o'clock in the morning still on the phone at 10.30 then 11 and as she told her story with one horror after another but one moment of reprieve of extraordinary heroism of being stuck in places for a year as if it were nothing you realize actually what a profound gift it is yet again to have had the perspective that she gave us. So in terms of answering your question of what it was like to have had it virtue, you know, of course, it was a really serious pity. I mean, that's an understatement for us not to be with one another, physically to share in that solidarity, collectively to remember. And there's such a power in that. When have you been to those ceremonies? It's an obvious power. But also at the same time, There was a sense that not only did we manage to do it but it it reminded us perhaps collectively that we not only could do that but we as a people have been through so very much that the fact that we couldn't commemorate alongside one another and that there was this really frightening backdrop, current backdrop, um, ultimately we survived. So it almost felt like a sort of strange metaphor. It was mm. a strange thing, it felt, um, it felt strange, didn't it? But um, I think it was, um, it felt strangely poignant at the same time. You know, here we were meeting as Jewish people, commemorating the Shoah and all of our allies and lots of people besides. Um, but we were doing it in circumstances of, of adversity, which certainly isn't the first time.
0: Mm. Amazing answer. Um, so what gives you hope? What what positives do you think can come out of this strange time that we now live in?
1: Well, I'm going to come back to um, the answer that you, um, I'm going to come back to your first question, which is, you know, you know what they're like. Some people are hopeful or they aren't, you know, it's almost sort of part of somebody's character, whether you're a person that looks at the world and sees all the problems or delights in finding the solutions um and i definitely i think have uh, a gift in that i'm as gift that's not mine it's it's you know from your parents and people around you who knows perhaps it's from our dna down to our rna we don't know but i'm definitely optimistic what gives me hope um organizations like this our frontline workers it sounds like such a kind of cliche doesn't it sounds like oh eye roll and shoulder shrug, you would say that. But, you know, of all the things I talk about when I come to talk at schools and I talk uh, to young applicants coming to the bar, you can be the most intelligent person in the world. You can read all the books in the world. But ultimately, when all is said and done, what matters is kindness. It's everything. It's how we evaluate you as a human being, how we remember who you are how we come to determine what currency and value you have in the world and you give to the world. Being clever doesn't do that. And so I think what gives me hope is that what I've personally observed every single day has been this overwhelming sea of kindness everywhere. You know, people who are meeting neighbors for the first time, people who are reaching out to challenge communities, people who um, are itching, clutching to help other people. Now, I hope that that altruism, that sense of kindness survives, but whilst it does, and whilst it's everywhere, it's palpable, it's everywhere, seems to me that that's a really serious reason to be hopeful. Imagine it being the other way around.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've just got to look out for one another, don't you? To
1: help you get Mm. through
0: it. Um, Very broad question, um, but Mm -hmm. what is the best piece of advice you think you've ever received?
1: It's such a difficult one. Um, Three bits of advice. They come down to what I call platitudes. One, um, I met an older woman, she's a grand woman, sort of, um, you know, like an old royalty type with a long cigarette holder. Very important person in my life. And she said to me when I was in my 30s, something oh, you know, You seem like the type of person that seems very troubled by what people think of you. And it matters a great deal more, dear, she said. And then smoked her cigarette, which you mustn't do. And she said, oh, it matters a great deal more what you think of them. And I thought that was a really good piece of advice. Um, I think that's useful. Um, Of course, you should always seek to be kind to people. But, um, you know, never allow anybody else to curate the narrative on your behalf. You know, when you meet um, survivors, that's one of the things that they sort of share, a sense that they make their own destiny, It's very important. So, and and there's a similar, there's a connective tissue between that bit of advice and what I just said, which is, you know, don't go into a place worrying what people think about you, ask what you can contribute to the conversation. You know, I always worry about people go, I arrived somewhere and they didn't talk to me. Or they don't well, who cares? I mean, did you talk to them? And if they don't like you, as long as you were kind and did your best, why do you care? Secondly, a good bit of advice is if in doubt, don't. You know, you usually have an inner voice that says this is probably not a good idea. And generally speaking, uh that's that's right. And um, the last thing that I'd say is always seek to have ambition that you think is about you making you happy rather than because you're doing it for um other people because you should you feel you should do it and that's perhaps a special problem and a challenging one
0: yes um so i think alex is going to nominate somebody to have a question from the audience
1: um, and okay.
3: we go to james k <laughs>
1: Hi, Tish. Hi, James.
3: I don't have a question.
1: Oh, that's all right. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Okay, I'll ask you a question. Uh, What school do you go to?
3: Oh, I remember my question now.
1: Okay, that happens to me all the time. I used to be in court and that used to happen to me all the time. What is your favourite song? My favourite song? Uh, Oh God, that's a difficult one. Um, You won't have heard of it. My favourite, well, my favourite song is a really old one. It's from an opera, so I'm going to tell you that one because you'll fall asleep. But my favourite pop song is from 1984 and it's called Diggaloo Diggalay. And it's by Heres, and they won the Eurovision Song Contest with it. That's my favourite song. What's your favourite song?
3: Uh, it's a song from Aladdin.
1: Oh, is it A Whole New World? Or is it. Yeah. Um, pre- oh, I like that one too. I used to sing that years ago. I sometimes sing it with my dog when nobody's, when nobody's, uh, nobody's watching. Dog? Is that, he's looking out the window at the moment. But so, well, there you are. Yeah, that's a good song to choose. Thanks for asking. Nice to meet you. Amazing,
0: any more
3: questions? Oh. Um. Yeah, yeah, Go
0: yeah.
3: on then. What was it like meeting Paul Hollywood?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know what, what, I mean, the more important question is Ooh. what did he think it was like meeting me? Oh, yeah. Now, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was nice. I mean, he's very, uh, interested in baking. He likes his baking. He's deadly serious about it. I mean, like, really serious. You know, you get these sort of, um, uh, uh, uh people that are really geeky about, uh, uh, computer games and stuff, spend all day playing Fortnite or whatever it is. Whatever sort of, you know. Well, and then people are, like, really obsessed with it. He's really obsessed with baking. He's deadly serious. So, um, uh, but he's very nice. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know, he seems to have a lot of conversation about dough and bread. So, um, bearing in mind, I've never really baked and um, I would rather do almost anything else than bake. We didn't really have much to talk about. So, um, my dog is literally in the background and snoring and farting. I'm, um, there you are.
0: Okay, I think Maya has a question.
1: Okay. You there, Maya. Hi, Maya.
3: Who was your favourite judge on Strictly?
1: Oh well, I can say that very easily. It was Craig Revel Horwood, because he was—he's um, the meanest on camera, but off camera, he's the absolute nicest. Um, but they were all very nice. I, Maya, they had Darcy, of course. He was very sweet, and I'd been a big fan of hers when she was a dancer. Um, And, of course, it was the last year that Len was on the programme, and he was lovely. Um, Bruno was gorgeous, but very, very mean. But my favourite by a mile was was Craig. Um, Even though he, you know, comes across as being a little bit nasty on camera, he's actually, behind the scenes, really kind and very sweet. Thank you. That's a very nice question.
0: Brilliant. Alex, do you have a question?
3: Um, hi, I, I was wondering what made you decide to go on to um, into your like kind of law, like how, why did you criminal choose
1: criminal? Yeah, okay, that's a super question. Are you thinking about doing law? Um, yeah. So, um, again, uh, I, I there's a long and short answer to that question, and um, to um, really interested older students, normally give the very long answer but I, I, I won't. The, 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 I ended up going to a criminal chambers because I wanted to be an advocate. And um, for me, that really meant criminal law. Uh, it meant doing all of the things that I saw on television, of course, but also mainly because I wanted to be arguing cases in front of juries, using advocacy and speaking as a form of persuasion and really getting down and cross-examining witnesses, court craft, being in other areas of law, um, that's perhaps less important. So that really mattered to me a lot. Um, and then, as I said, if you were listening early, you may not have been, um, n- not long after I started the bar, which is an almost impossible way around nowadays, you have to be so devoted and committed to getting e- anywhere close to getting into a chambers and becoming a barrister that you have to have done tons of work and be completely confident and assured in your choice of being a criminal barrister. You didn't when I first started. But after I started, after a short period of time, I also realized that I wanted to be somebody that stood between the individual and the state. That really mattered to me. Uh, In other words, you know, I I was helping people, but I was also helping people in a way which was upholding democracy in some way. It was a bigger picture, in other words. So those are the two reasons, if you like, that I chose criminal law. And then gradually, um, as lots of people who are lawyers will tell you, your career evolves, you become more specialized and i really ended up becoming much more specialized in an area of criminal law and especially in international criminal law um and that um, moments was incredibly exciting and interesting um are you about to go to uni in in september
3: no i'm in year 10
1: okay so that's year 11 gosh i was wondering so is year 11 or is it year 12 that they uh, do a levels um, the i do
3: year 13 is yeah, a
1: 13. Level. Ah okay. I'm wondering what's going to happen this year because of course oh, it's, it's all very odd GCSE. Are you doing GCSEs this year?
3: Um, next year. Yeah.
1: Next year so I don't I'm 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 fascinated to know what's going to happen whether you'll just get the grades your teachers say you should have.
3: Um I think my my exams I think are going to be pushed back a bit for uh, a bit to July June.
1: Right but for the others I don't know what they're going to do really interesting anyway it's a really good question the really important thing is nowadays to once you you really think you're keen on it and i mean you're a bit young now but when you get to um uni you know these days lots of people have jumped young people have jumped through the similar same hoops lots of people got the same a levels lots of people have got the same degree what really sets people apart is showing commitment and showing a range of different things so you know working in different spaces and in different kinds of jobs, even if it's being in a bar or waitressing once they open it, you know, that really matters, believe it or not. Really volunteering. So if you're thinking of law, you know, working at, a, at charities, perhaps working as an advocate for different groups, taking a tour group, and that sort of thing can be enormously use- useful, being a Madrid, for example, because you're a problem solver. Um, and also thinking about things like debating when you get to university to really hone your skills. But really, from an early well, you don't have to worry about it now. But from when you're 18 onwards, and a little bit before, thinking about how you can enrich your CV so it's more than just a series of academic hoop jumpings. It's really yeah. important.
3: I like the idea of being a judge because you get a bit of more of a higher.
1: Um, well, you see, in a, if you're in Germany, you, you you just go and become a judge. You could leave university, and that's a, it's a civil service job. Um, here. Um, you know you, you're not going to be a judge I think you, you have to it's a minimum of 15 years or 12 years practice before they'll even consider you so you have to before you do that if you're going to work for a decade and a half you definitely want to be doing a um, area of law that you're passionate about mm-hmm. but it often takes a while to find out which area of law that is great question
0: amazing thank you Alex um so one more from me um, Okay. So we always ask our guest to nominate and ask another celebrity to be a future guest on virtual GLGB to help mm. entertain all the children and young people stuck at home and um, mm. so if you've enjoyed tonight's experience do you have anybody that you think you could nominate?
1: Well I do I mean obviously I know um, you know because of National Youth Theatre and stuff I know a lot of so-called inverted commas kind of famous people Never excited by them. But the difficulty is they are, you know, at the moment their time is so stretched. The worst thing in the world I could do would be to do a nuclear-powered chutzpah and say, so I just nominated you to go on to JLGB and answer questions. So I I I would definitely want to ask them first. So I can't think of it. Um people are so busy. Um, let me think. What about Matt Lucas or Rachel Riley? They'd be good people, wouldn't they? Amazing. They'll be they'll they'll be great. Well, uh, uh, I'll ask Rachel.
0: You speak to them, get them involved. It'd be brilliant to have them.
1: Okay. And oh.
0: unfortunately, though, Good that is all we have time for this evening. But wow. Um, thank you so much, Rob, for taking the time to come and speak to us on Be Virtual. It has been incredible to talk to you this evening and find out all about your life. I'm definitely feeling no, very inspired. And we really do appreciate your
3: giving up your Wednesday evening for us.
1: No, I didn't give it up. It's just a couple of of privilege. And thank you for creating such a great, creative, hopeful, optimistic space for young people. And of course, for our community, because you provide something really, really important, which is critical examples to the rest of the country. So when people come and talk to me about about Jewish community, Or sometimes when you may even meet anti-Semitism and I'm not really ever going to change people's mind by the power of debate because that sort of darkness sits somewhere in their brain, which isn't very helpful. But I can use really positive examples. I can say, for example, that's interesting. You think that about Jewish young people go on the JLGB website. Let me tell you a story about what they organized in lockdown, for example. <laughs> um and that's really important so um, it's actually me who should thank you at jlgb
0: thank you so much see um, you soon see you soon and um, be
1: well yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> so that's it um, thank you for everyone for tuning in this evening and yet again being part of history thank you so much for listening to jlgb virtual we are live take care of yourselves and stay safe and we shall see you again soon